0: Okay, so this is for Clementine and Otis. Okay, this week's episode is brought to you by Kingpin Skate Shop. So Kingpin stock only the best brands like Baker, Antihero, Hockey, Girl, Chocolate, FA, and uh, much, much more. They have all your hardware needs sorted, and uh, they have a very carefully carefully selected apparel and shoe range. Um, They literally are the best skate shop in the world. And they laugh every time I say that, but I'm, I feel it. And um, they literally ship worldwide as well. So get over to kingpinstore.com. That's K-I-N-G-P-I-N-S-T-O-R-E.com. Use the code THT at checkout. You'll get the 15% discount. Next up, um, non-government organization Habitat for Humanity uh, is a, a cause that's very close to my heart. They've been very supportive of finding emergency housing for bushfire victims here in Australia, but they're also Worldwide Habitat for Humanity and they're helping displaced people find shelter and build resilience through supplying them with the fundamentals that they need to sustain life. They're an amazing organisation and they need volunteers. And for you as a listener, as a human, this is an amazing opportunity to be of service to your community Connect with others, help others, and it will make you feel better about yourself. So head over to habitatforhumanity.org. That's H A B I T A T F O R H U M A N I T Y dot O-R-G and um, find out how you can be assistance of an assistance. But donating money is always like, you know, helpful, but donating your time is just precious. So let's Terrible happy talks. Terrible happy talks. Yeah. Good to be here, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Three, two, one. All right. Let's do this. Today's guest is Ricky Roberts the Third. Ricky is that's dude I've got to say Ricky that's a rad name okay Ricky <laughs> <Thank roles. you. laughs> um,
1: Ricky,
0: Ricky is a skateboarder motivational speaker and author of eight books. Um, after almost being killed at age 17 in a street fight Ricky has dedicated his life to his personal healing journey and sharing what he has learned along the way. Ricky's latest book, Thank You Skateboarding, pays homage to the gift of having a passion and the positive ways it can contribute to all aspects of your life. This week, Ricky is with me live from his home in St. Petersburg, Florida, USA, to share his journey, experiences, challenges, and hopes for the future. Mr. Ricky (laughs) Roberts III, welcome. Welcome.
1: Yeah, love it, man. I'm uh, I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Shannon. I'm stoked to talk to you and grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, man. Thanks for your time, Ricky.
0: And first question I want to ask you: like, what does a day in the life of Ricky Roberts the Third look like at the moment?
1: At the moment, um, waking up to we have a, a 15 month no 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 18 month old. 19, I'm losing track, but 19 months, somewhere around there, 17 months, something like that. Anyways, it's uh, waking up, he comes in the bed in the middle of the night, so he's usually waking my wife and I up in the morning and doing something awesome and adorable, just kind of get, getting the day started that way. And then it depends on how our shift's broken up, because we're splitting, like, parenting time where I do my thing and and my wife does her thing. She's a, uh, you know, an independent artist. She has a tattoo studio. So it's like, we both do our own thing, but on those days it's daddy daycare all day when she's there or, and, um, on, in the days that she's not, it's, I try to get a, a session in first thing in the morning and then do things that I need to do emails or whatever I might need to follow up on, you know, for the day and uh writing's a part of every day reflection um yeah so the days are the, the days are different you know right now i'm just i'm trying to recalibrate everything and get into like the right routine with now being a father and and working through that journey it's of in itself is a special journey so it's fluctuating quite a bit these days
0: Eighteen months uh, with the child is a very interesting time as a parent because you're now in this place where you've actually maybe suffered from a fair amount of sleep deprivation. And yeah. I, I find that for me that really can really weigh on your, your behaviours and your moods. Like what sure. are you doing what are you doing personally to like cope with such a dramatic change in your life?
1: yeah and thanks for saying that because honestly like um, the the onset you know of of having our child when that first I I thought I was mentally and and emotionally prepared you know I've done done a lot of work myself over the years and gone through that journey but when when we like had our, our child it just triggered all types of things I wasn't expecting so my mental health took a spiral. And so I was like that daily struggle to try to keep my head in the right place. And then also, you know, be a stable emotional support for my wife and obviously for our our new child. Um, So it's been a journey, man. It's really a lot of unexpected stuff came up for me that I've been managing and and working through. And then also, you know, you, you say what I do to cope. It's like, Full into the things that help keep me going, like skateboarding and journaling, art. Um, You know, my wife and I balance it out to where uh, we both try to get time for ourselves to do the things that we need to do to to keep our cups full. You know, and still trying to make sure I'm out at getting the sunset in a couple days a week, just to have that silent reflection by myself. And you know, and it's hard with a child because. When I take full, like, blocks of time away, I feel like I'm neglecting supporting my wife. I feel like I'm neglecting supporting my child and being there. But then I know if I don't, I'm – it's just – it is what it is. I need to put my mask on and keep my oxygen right because I can spiral pretty dark and deep,
0: you know. It's a good analogy, like, the mask on, you know, first because – yeah, really. Without self care, you're no good to anyone else. Correct. Absolutely. I guess, I guess a question that I wanted to ask, and you started to touch on it, is, and if you don't mind me asking, if I've crossed the line here, but
1: have oh, you noticed? You oh, ask anything you want. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to share, and you know, with the intention of, it's just, it's an honor to share our journeys. If, it, if it impacts someone else and helps give someone permission to work through you know their own thing it's it's all worth it it's all part of it so i'm happy to talk about wherever the conversation goes
0: legend ricky yes thanks brother. appreciate <laughs> i appreciate you for that man but my question is have you noticed uh a change in your relationship with your wife How has having a child impacted on that
1: yeah, that's you know that's something that we have to continuously check in with each other. It's like, look, we see right now the forecast of how easily we can grow apart because the things that we were used to in our relationship as a like a functioning, healthy relationship between us two is completely changed. There's a whole another life involved that is very important that we cater love nurture to the full capacity so it's like being real mindful of uh like taking the time for each other and with each other and you know finding that place so it's it's been different you know we've had to adjust we're not sitting there at dinner together anymore talking about each other you know or our feelings or what we do still make the time to do that but it's just it takes more intention, I think. And I can see very easily how if you're not proactive in certain things as a couple with a child, it can take a toll on the relationship, you know.
0: Yeah. it's. I, I guess I wanted to ask that question because, you know, you see it a lot in our societies where, um, you know, children just put a huge strain on, on a relationship that, I think many people may have felt was solid, and then uh, along comes this amazing little human that has its own yeah. agenda, and we yeah. have really no control over it. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in this survival mode that we didn't sure. expect to find ourselves in, you know. And um, and straight away, like it's it's easy for couples to turn on each other and not yeah, support each absolutely.
1: other. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and you have to, like, bring back to, like, the, the keeping the eye on the prize with, just, like, being your best for the, the child, you know, and um, also for each other and just the love that you share that, that brought you together in the first place. And it's, I mean, I keep from the very beginning, I've been, you know, I've been telling my friends and stuff, like, man, I'm just so grateful that I'm experiencing this with my wife it's like saying because of our relationship and the health of our relationship that you know each of each one of us put a lot of time into ourselves before we got together in our life so it was like we but it didn't doesn't mean that it didn't stop there you know it's like it's still kind of like just been this ongoing work but anyways back to what i was saying is like I, I I just can't imagine. It, it, it's hard to imagine. Hard for me to imagine going through the process of having a child and adapting to the things that are going on within within me without that stability in what my wife and I have, which I'm unbelievably grateful for.
0: Yeah, like as a new father, like I think it's really scary for for men because we haven't. Quite bonded with the child like the mother has, you know. The the the, mother has had the baby in her womb for nine months. They've been bonding, and I know for me, I I felt like this sense of rejection a little bit, and just a little bit once the baby was born. And my my wife at the time was breastfeeding like constantly, and the, the baby becomes so dependent on the mother. I, yes. I, I thought I did, and I know I've had other friends say the same thing. I just felt this period of just being, like, really lost, and what's my purpose in all this? Like, am I even needed, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah, dude. I had it's... to keep... You go. No,
1: no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's
0: just it was heavy, and it was a really lonely time at, at first, and then it, it starts to obviously change. But um, can you sort of maybe, like, tell me... <laughs> I want to go back now to where you grew up and your experiences as a child. So, where did you where did you grow up in your younger years?
1: Um, um, first, before we go to that, I just want to thank you for saying that because exactly like what you said about feeling lonely and all those things, there were periods of of the cycle where you know in in the earlier months where like I felt. Um, like guilty and i felt shamed the, by the way i was feeling and i'm like man this it, like i'm almost selfish for feeling what i felt and then like just collectively from the outside like society it's like this expectation of how you're supposed to be feeling and how you're dealing with this transition in your life and like it yeah it was like very it was, strangely enough like a lonely time
0: um well, to adjust to,
1: to all that Uh, I mean, obviously, like the fears and and inadequacies or whatever, but specifically speaking to your thing about, you know, the mother bonding for all of this time and then this life comes in, like you're just supposed to click all of a sudden emotionally to being a father to this young being, you know? And whereas, like, the the mother had bonded all this time where this, like, bonding starts now for you. And then sometimes, like you were saying, feeling that rejection and feeling like, yeah, what do I even do? Like, I'm kind of useless in all of this. I'm not, like, feeding him. I'm not, like, but but you want to be. But then there's parts of me that's, like, I had to constantly work through the, uh, like, on um, like tendency to withdraw emotionally. So like con it's like pulling myself back in emotionally. So I don't just like close up, you know, but mm. anyways, it's like that, that's just a whole, I uh, thank you for saying it because it, it's like, it feels good to hear that validation of, uh, you going through, uh, what you did with, with the experience. And I'm sure a lot of, um, men can relate on on many levels, you know.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for sharing it because I just feel like a lot of dudes don't talk about that, especially that early period of just feeling isolated yeah. and and also they're in this position where like they don't really know how we, they don't really know how to be a father yet. Um, yeah, I don't think like yeah. I, I mean, I, it seems to me and I'm generalizing that you know, women really do have a maternal instinct, you know. I've Oh, man, it's beautiful to watch. Oh, man. It's so
1: beautiful and humbling to watch where it's just like, man, I can't. And I would talk with my wife about that a lot where I'm like, I'm sorry I feel guilty, but certain things, they're not as easy for me as they are for you. And, like, I'm not, It just feel like it's like it's a learning process, man. Like it's not natural for me to. I don't know. It, I mean, I've I've been affection, all that things, but just certain parts of it, you know, like yeah. But that's right. Cheers that's up to amazing. the to the females and all the mothers out there. I, that's another thing. I thought I had respect for for mothers before the experience, and after, like my wife gave birth, and like just the whole process of pregnancy, I started to tell mothers like I feel like I want to walk around and just kiss every mother's feet like literally bow down and put my forehead to the ground, kiss your feet because respect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I mean it too. Like I, I see women in a completely different light now and then I just see them as these like mystical beings now. Uh, I know that yeah. sounds a bit over the top, but um, you know, you witness, mystical. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you witness a childbirth uh, and, and what unfolds in that process and, and, and what a woman does does to achieve that i I mean aside from the fact they've nurtured something in their in their body for nine months and then they then they go through that process it's like it really is a trip it's a trip and i don't think until you experience it and you witness it and it's your child like you're just never really going to understand it and i I mean i thought i understood but i just know i don't understand
1: (laughs) so dude i kept saying telling my wife afterwards i was like so like, cause she had a long, drawn out labor. It was I forget how many hours, but it was a couple days, like forty something, whatever. It was long, and um, I was like, if I go real extensively skating or having have in the past different times where I start getting cramps or whatever, those come and go and like whatever, a couple minutes, and then you know it's it's gone. I'm like, you just did that for hours and hours like getting a minute two minute break in between couple 10 minutes whatever but like constant cramps weeks like without even being able to imagine how bad a pain but anyways anyway <laughs> yeah good chat on that thank thank you
0: <laughs> i just love i love because like again i i'm still a, i'm a father and i'm you know like it's it's really overwhelming at times and so when I have these discussions with other, especially new fathers, like it, it does, it gives me this sense of peace to, and it sort of makes me feel like I'm not alone in it. And that's yeah. the beauty of, that's the beauty of your honesty there, Ricky. So thanks. Ben.
1: And you know, and on that note, if someone listens, that's like at the beginning of the stages, I, I just can like, I can't encourage them, people not to like, just be good to themselves, be kind to of themselves, be patient, be compassionate. And, things that are going to help keep you inspired. But it's just it's not even about a choice. It's its a necessity to keep keep your head right through it all. It just makes you a better individual, a better human being and better for the whole situation I think on both sides. I
0: agree, man. I agree. So listen, I want to hear a little bit about you and, and where did you grow up exactly?
1: Um, St. Pete, Florida. Uh, g- grew up um you know my father left when i was about 11 somewhere around there 11 years old say and from there my mother was a single mother and just kind of went from different relationships bouncing around and uh didn't really you know she had her own issues from childhood that she never healed and dealt with so it kind of that got projected into her relationships and what she would settle for and she like her belief of you know, I think what she deserved and or not deserved. And so I've witnessed abuse with my mother and father. And then I witnessed abuse over and over again with different relationships. So I I just, I had to grow up quick. Um, I had younger siblings. I felt like I had to watch out for against these just random dudes or whatever it was, different relationships. So um, kind of became pretty angry and bitter and had a lot of rage that, uh, you know, projected or manifested itself in the, in the world through violence, oftentimes fighting a lot. Um, of course I had skateboarding or when that came into my life and that was a huge outlet, but the other outlet was physical violence. I just felt better for some weird reason. If like I was hurting someone else, you know, or like I was in a fight where like my life was in danger. I just felt that sense of, like it just felt normal to me in a lot of ways. So that was a, yeah, that was, that's a whole journey of it itself, but it's just kind of like a quick snapshot, a lot of poverty, um, just, just dealing with all types of, um, I guess, uh, circumstances that we're trying as a, as a young person that um, caused a lot of things, in my life that i had to undo as an adult and work through and process through well
0: how have you done that how how have you how have you worked through that, that i guess childhood trauma i mean that term gets thrown around a lot but it's obvious that that's what you experienced so
1: yeah
0: what what uh tools have you developed to
1: deal with that you know, what's crazy is like with childhood traumas, you don't even, it's become so normal to witness people getting beat up and fights and like things breaking and drugs, and like just chaos that you don't even, like, you know, it's wrong deep down, but it just becomes your normal. So it it wasn't until we, uh, we like, it wasn't until later on in life where, I had a near-death experience that that triggered the awareness in me to look at my life and realize, like, really where all of this stuff was coming from, how I ended up into that point. We can talk more about that experience if you want, but it was like, that was the kind of wake-up time for me to look at my past and my childhood and see, okay, this this wasn't normal. Like this stuff definitely has affected me. It's affected me how I see myself, feel about myself, look at the world, how I interact with the world. And I just wanted to dive into it, look at it. And just, that was the journey. I I started journaling and writing and kind of just reflecting on my life and looking at everything, assessing it. And that's just, it's just been a healing journey ever, ever since to, and, Mm -hmm. you know, certain things from, childhood trauma and experiences neglect abuse violence you don't sometimes you don't even know that they mess with you until stuff triggers them it's like we were talking about with my child there were layers to that to like my my pain i guess you are wounds that um i've worked through and i've like spent a lot of time on but there were other triggers that happened when my child was born that i was like oh man this is like it made me realize maybe there was a lot more, even when I was like toddler and an infant of like abuse and violence that I was absorbing at that age. So it was like this crazy, like deep triggers on, on that kind of stuff. So it's a lifelong journey when you experience certain things and you're such like impressionable and fragile years of life. Yeah. And you,
0: and you feel that was normal as you got older that that's, that's how you were dealing with conflict situations? So the only way you knew how to
1: resolve conflict was through violence or forms of violence? Yeah, I mean, I... um, Yeah, it just, just kind of became something I felt like I had to do, you know? It was like... I, when I was younger, I, I felt like I avoided fighting but my brothers and I would fight all the time then like, it was like... It sounds bad but the first time i hit someone in the face like i had them on the ground i remember i was in elementary school and it was like once i hit them once i just like i couldn't stop it was like this like feeling of liberation maybe because the way people were hurting me and that it was just that anger and rage where it's like oh now like i have the power to like do something it felt like this weird power thing and um, it just became it started off with that um, release I think but then it became my identity as I got older became who I was and how people expected me to to react to situations so I was like feeding on that of like oh I want to feel belonging I want to feel like someone so it's like I had skateboarding and I had this crazy violent persona or like reputation that i could like i don't know get recognized for something that I would just like want to feed that um mm-hmm. so that was this whole cycle of in itself that, that was crazy to see that identity when i look back and i started to uh, like reflect on it, it and you just it was like you just i felt like i needed something to prove and uh, once i started to get that um reputation
0: you know Mm, Interesting. You know, I was just thinking, like, it's interesting how people have to hit, like, a rock bottom or have, like, a really pivotal moment in their life before they decide to make change. I I mean, I've had it. I've had it as well. And um, I often think, like, why do things have to get really, really bad before they can get better? Uh, It seems like that's, like, the human condition, if you don't mind, can you maybe give us an account of the night you had that near-death experience and how it went down? And if I'm honest, I'm just curious to find out how someone can find them, themselves in a situation like that and, and how, it, how it does go down so, so easily.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, like just to like preface it is, I mean, at that time in my life, I was. You know, I mean, I was raging and the people I was with and chose to be with at that time, uh, they were certainly in the same mindset. You know, we didn't, when there would be a conflict that occurred, there wasn't this point of like choice where like, okay, peaceful solution or violent solution. There was no, it was just reaction, reaction, reaction all the time, or it was like, uh what are you looking at? Oh, fight. And just automatic. That was just who, it, who we were and how we, I think, engaged with, with the world around us, wherever we were. Um, so we were hanging out in, uh, this place, Igor city, a couple, like we saw some people that we knew, uh, from the skate park and, and they're like, we're talking to them. We're just hanging out. And, uh, at this point, in my life had been into so many different situations that a random fight wouldn't surprise me. Or there had been weapons in the past, uh, like gunshots. All the like different circumstances, but so I wasn't necessarily intimidated by um, potential like conflict in situations that could be dangerous. Yeah. So there, there was these people that walked up and they were saying like. There was some talk about a fight these people got into the weekend before that we were talking to. And then there was someone over by their car. It was kind of like a weird situation. And they said something to, like, they were kind of finding out who, whose car it was. But those dudes were telling us about a fight they got into the weekend before and they beat up these people. And they were in that car. So we're thinking they had something to do with that. That's kind of the most we got out of that. So, like, like uh, the details of the story, but before like anything happened, all of a sudden there was three people that were off to the side that were lingering a little bit. And I told my friend, I was like, I think something's about to happen. I could just tell, I could feel their vibes. They're, they're up to something. And then he said something to the guy said something to my friend and he had a, like a sprinkler head in his hand that he, he had before because we almost got in a fight probably 30 minutes before with some other people. And all of a sudden we we're just like, Oh, ready, ready to fight type vibe. So he hit that guy. And then there was a guy next to him that was just standing there. So I hit him. Cause at that point it was more like, if one of us goes, we all go. That's just that just there was never a question asked. We didn't talk about it. It was just, that's what would happen. It was just a known unknown, unspoken thing. So I hit the guy that was next to him, and then there was something off to the side that came up behind me with a beer bottle and broke it over the back of my head. I didn't realize he was with them. And from there, it just unleashed. Like it just, there were about 10 to 15 people across the street. There were people we were with. Some of them took off. Some of them just, I think, freaked out in the moment, they didn't know what to do. So there's kind of like a couple of us really fighting where I feel like it was. 10, 15 or more people. It just, we didn't really, at that point we started to split up and I didn't know who was coming against me. Who was like trying to fight me. Who was just in the crowd. Cause it was a crowded place. It was uh, like people hang out there. There's a lot of bars and clubs and restaurants and stuff like that. So it was a crowded downtown area. And then it got to the point where we're like fighting in the middle of street. Cars are stopping. We're like, kind of just, People coming, you're fighting a couple people. Few more people come up, and there's this loose riot-type situation. We all got split up. I got backed against this wall. There were a group of people in front of me, and I knew if they came at me against the wall, they're just going to beat me. I like I had to get into this group, out of here. I can't have my back against the wall and them just beat me down. So I started to fight my way through the group. As I was fighting my way through the group. Like, I felt someone kind of had a shirt on at this point. My shirt got pulled back, and I felt something go into my back, into my side, into my chest, my other side. Was basically getting stabbed across the body as I was fighting through this group. I, I get out because I'm fighting. I'm just, like, throwing hands the best I can. And um, I get out of the group. My shirt's ripped off. I look down. I'm full on just covered in blood. Um, I'm missing a shoe. And I look over, and my friend... Uh, Scott was still fighting so I I started to kind of go where he's at and the people he was fighting just kind of took off people that were like coming at me and they left too because at that point they're they realized they would stabbed us so they needed to get out of there he starts walking over and he's cut from one side of his stomach to the other just like full-on cut open and long story short we end up um getting our friend Chris that was in this doorway we ended up getting him out of and he was stabbed in the lungs. Uh, so there was like his hands were like his fingers were inside of the hole. Cause it was lung was punctured. And it was just spraying out blood. It was gnarly full on movie scene. And, um, our friend James got us out of there and like and point actually in during the fight that dude saved my life because there's a dude someone coming out behind me with a meat cleaver like full-on ready to chop the what? back of my head and he he like say basically he saved my life and you know we all kind of save each other I think in a lot of regard but long story short we end up in this um parking lot waiting for the paramedic ambulance to get there and i'm just laying next to my friend chris my friend scott at this point had gotten the to a vehicle with some like random people trying to help him and that uh, like he got put, rushed to the hospital and um we're laying there and i'm just laying next to, to my friend and my eyes started to flutter like i was like just felt like i was gonna faint And in my mind, it just clicked in. Survivor was like, if your eyes close, you're dying. If your eyes close, you're dying. That's just what I kept saying to myself. So I'm holding my eyes with the palms of my hand up on my eyelids, like, full on, wide open, to try to keep them awake, like, open, so I can still just concentrate on breathing and, like, working through it. And um, I could hear the sirens, so I'm like, ah, they're almost here, they're almost here. And... Two paramedics show up, and like I, li- I go from laying on the ground just to like jumping up and running to the paramedic because I'm like I'm so desperate to get help, you know. And they start like working on me, and the paramedic kind of getting me ready for the trauma unit at the hospital. I get there, they rush me back into the intensive care unit. Like already, I remember looking out of the ambulance doors when the doors open. It was like. A scene of a movie where all these people with white jackets just come and grab the cart and start wheeling me down this uh, hallway, and just lights are flashing. It was just like they show in the movies. It's wild. So they get me back there, and um, all these doctors and nurses are looking around me. They're staring down at me, and I'm totally freaking out at this point. Like, it was just, they were i was saying things like i'm just i don't know i don't want to die like you're losing a lot of blood we don't you're in serious condition you have to calm down we have to figure out where all this blood's coming from and it was weird because at that point i felt afraid you know and it was weird because it's like most people think yeah of course you feel afraid but up into that point in my life, I didn't care if I lived or died. I was suicidal multiple times. I didn't. It wasn't like I wanted to necessarily live. I, I just didn't know how to live, you know. And so, death wasn't scary to me. But then, all of a sudden, I'm feeling like, oh, I might be dying right now. So I got this fear. I'm like, oh, maybe I do want to live. Like there was this crazy, par- like paradox of emotions going on inside. And then they're all crowded around me and there was a chaplain that came over. And at that point, I was, this is it. Okay, so I guess they just, what do they pray over me as I'm dying? Is this how it's going down? And I was losing, like, I just was kind of like submitting to it a little bit. Like, okay, this this could be happening. And he put his hand on my head as his chaplain and said, everything's going to be okay. So all of a sudden, it was this peace where like, it was just this experience that it was so calming. All of a sudden, I felt like, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not alone. I'm, I'm going to be fine. And I remember looking at the clock. It was two, like, almost 2.30 after, like 2.30 something. And then I just kind of like blanked out. I was still alert. I was conscious. I heard everything that was going on. I lay there, I didn't say another word. I just, like, was just feeling like, okay, everything's going to be okay. Next thing you know, they're like, okay, you're done. Like, we're we're taking you to the recovery, blah, blah, blah. And looked up, and it was, like, I don't know, almost 8 o'clock or something. Six and a half hours later, they were just working on me. And I was just, like, cool with it. I knew everything was going to be okay. And... Um, turned out I was stabbed nine times. They uh then I spent time in the hospital just reflecting and that's where it all started hitting me, where I was like I need to see what's going on with my life, like I need to look at my life. I'm I'm all obviously something kept me here. I'm here for a reason. I didn't die. So I just started to ask bigger questions of myself. And obviously it was, you know, it didn't just click overnight, but that was just, I didn't want to see anyone in the hospital. I just wanted to, I had a friend get me like, go get my notebook. And I just started writing and journaling um, and just diving into all the crazy emotions that came from that trauma, but also all the emotions and pain that was coming up from the past that made me realize that is why I got there. You know, it was all choices. It's not like the experience I had as a young person made me go there. I chose to put myself in situations that could potentially kill me.
0: Wow, man. Wow, Ricky. Fire out, man. What a story. Like, seriously, Dude, it bro. it was wild. Oh, it's wild. It was wild. I mean, I and just my- was... Living it with you, you know, and I was just sort of thinking, like, you know, how do you not know you've been stabbed nine times, but I realize, like, you're in the heat of the moment, adrenaline. the chaos, the adrenaline, you know, and then the paramedics having to, like, find where the stab wounds are.
1: Like, these are the well, days, it was like, the, the, so... the doctors and nurses. I, I kept hearing them say, oh, we found another one. We found another one. I'm just like wow they it was there were people would joke around afterwards and called me like a pin cushion or something like (laughs) that like because i I had like so many pokes man it was but when it's happening you know you just i would blank out when i would fight you know and i would just it would go into survival mode Mm -hmm. it's just and then you the adrenaline and all that stuff it's uh adrenaline's a crazy thing but as it started to go away and like come down I was in a lot of pain and then like the, of course the recovery was it just felt like my body felt like I lay down on the ground and someone just beat me with a bat because yeah. of like the, the trauma of the punctures it was just like the whole everything was sore it was intense but,
0: but then you realized like in those really scary moments when you were like hang on this I could be I could be done here then you had a moment of clarity where you realized that you, that life is worth living. Yeah. So would you say that was your biggest lesson out of that experience?
1: Absolutely. And, and also that, uh, you know, it, every day is a gift. It was like I always knew how fragile life was before, but, I mean, I was hanging out that day. I got to think I was 17, man. It's not like I was a grown adult and knew, I, was, I mean, I still had, I'm like, I was a kid. Obviously, now I can say, I was like, at that age, I didn't feel like a kid at all, but it was, I was only 17. Mm. Um, so it's still so much to learn and, and understand, you know, but uh, that day, it was, you know, just hanging out. Uh, it's not like I was planning on going to the, to the hospital for a while when I decided I'm like running up to, um, and it had to happen. It was something that had to happen to me for for a reason, I I believe. But, you know, I was going up to my house. My friends were dropping me off. And I just all of a sudden was like, oh, wait, no, I want to go with you guys. And next thing you know, I'm in the hospital that same night where I was like, I was at home on my front door, ready to go. Like, see you guys later. I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) And then I just changed my mind.
0: Were you guys drinking that night? Was there alcohol involved?
1: I wasn't. There was alcohol with some of the friends, but I, I wasn't that night. Yeah. Um, yeah, just for whatever reason. I don't think I was. Um, I, d- I definitely don't remember like it being one of those raging nights for me uh, or anything. I mean, not to I, at that age, I, I was drinking that I shouldn't have been. I was underage, obviously, but you know, I, I was. But I, I can't remember that night for sure. I don't think so, though
0: so i mean thank you for like re-sharing that uh story i mean it's very engaging to listen to i was like hanging off your every word um in this sort of sick voyeuristic way i must admit like um and do you find when you think about that situation does it trigger you does it trigger the old emotions and the feelings or have you done enough work on yourself now to separate yourself and move beyond
1: those feelings? Um, It, it was something I had to start talking about a lot to get through a lot of the feelings, you know, and to get some healing around it. Um, I, I can't say that I can hundred sh- percent. I mean, I'm at peace with it and I've, you know, I, I dealt with it, but, you know, I still have symptoms from PTSD and, and, um, those types of things. It's just, just kind of part of, part of the, uh, the deal I think with me after experiencing that, but, and I, and I've obviously worked on that and continue to, to work on that. just, there's a whole process of even being comfortable in public after that, you know? Um, but anyways, the, but just to answer your question about the trigger, I can't say that I don't feel anything, you know, it's just almost impossible to not like have to let myself get into the moment and, um, the best I can in order to, to share the story, you know, so I certainly still feel it, but it's not a trigger to the point where it makes me uncomfortable or anything or like causes any rippling effects uh, from like getting into that space
0: yeah interesting man so how did your life unfold from that day so going into your early 20s um you know is that when the journey started is this when you did you really start to disassociate from that lifestyle um did you start seeing seeking help uh, with your anger issues maybe can you give us an insight into what happened after that
1: yeah, um, I was telling you, I poured, just started really pouring into writing in my journal and spending a lot of time there writing, is that uh, being started? vulnerable. Well,
0: yeah. When did, yeah. The, well, is that, did the writing start after that incident, like the journal? It was,
1: I was dabbling in it before. Like I had a notebook where I I'd write ideas and thoughts, but in the hospital, I, I really started to like open myself up to it. And afterwards, I, I um, uh, let myself get vulnerable with stuff that I would never even write because I didn't even want to, I didn't want to think about it long enough to write it, you know, stuff that I needed to unpack. And then there were still, there were some other experiences that kind of happened afterwards where I started to pull away from the, the, the lifestyle a bit, but then I got kind of into some other situations where I was like, man, this is like, I I would all, I was already looking at my life on, feeling like I had a chance, like almost like this second chance thing and wanted to do, do better with it. But there was, you know, there, um, it takes a little while to untangle things sometimes. And then as I got further along, I, I still was skateboarding a lot. At that point I started skateboarding by myself more than ever, just because I didn't like being around people a lot. And I just felt like very, uh, Withdrawn as I was dealing with the PTSD, I was just oh, and, uh, the first time in my life I was dealing with the emotions that I've been hiding and burying for so long. It's a lot of late hours at night by myself, and then I started boxing, and that helped me uh, curve and channel, <laughs> curve and channel a lot. Like it just helped me. What boxing helped me do is learn that I didn't have anything to prove, and it like helped me manage my anger, like tame the lion. A lot more, um, and it like that came to an ending point where I was in my early twenties, I think it was, and I was just sharing this with a uh, story with a friend at the skate park a couple days ago. And my friend was about to get in a fight, and at that point i was I was training for an amateur fight. Like I was in good fighting condition. I felt very confident in my abilities. I like was comfortable in the ring all the time, especially even more comfortable with someone that's not a trained fighter, like in this just regular street, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things you get comfortable with being in a fighting situation. Um, it, so they almost got in the fight and, and like, I was trying to break it up and it was in Ebor. strangely enough, this full circle experience. So I'm in Ebor in this like drunk situation, I wasn't so drinking. The, I was the getting ready area. for this tournament.
0: Excuse me. Same exact
1: area. Okay. It was like same, maybe a couple buildings down from where the stabbing has. And this is
0: Bad energy. There.
1: 17, say like early 20s, three, three years, four years, five years later or something. And it was with a really good friend. And uh, I think it was one of those, like I wasn't even going out much then, but maybe it was his birthday. And I was just kind of going out with them type deal. And he almost gets in a fight with this person. I'm trying to break it up. And the dude just like, caught me with this really soft drunk jab right and i looked at him i looked at my friends and of course my friend and a couple people he was with was like oh like they were expecting what they knew of ricky to come out because mm. like that's just what was known of the like people default. who knew me in that era and i just looked at everyone i looked at the dude and smiled and grabbed my friend and turned and just walked away It's was like let's go man and it was the first time I felt strong enough in myself to be able to walk away knowing that I didn't have anything to prove. My life wasn't in danger. The people I was with wasn't in – their life weren't, wasn't in danger. So it was like, whatever, man, cool. You, like, jabbed me with this weak point. Like, I'm good. See you later. Have a good night. And you, and you I broke I felt, the cycle, bro. You broke dude. the cycle. And I've, I'm telling you, I felt more in control and better about myself than I ever did about any fight I ever got into. Mm-hmm. It was so. Mm-hmm. So that was the last time I even came close to a um, like altercation in the streets or whatever. I mean, now I just I got to the point where I know enough to know that like I'm just remove myself out of the situation within seconds if I feel mm-hmm. like there's any potential of it going in any direction i don't need to be a part of you know
0: you can read it you can read the situation pretty well yeah man that's so rad to hear because breaking the cycle of of that sort of behavior is so hard like uh and when you've learned those survival mechanisms and techniques as such a young person because that's what they are they're they're tools for survival They don't, they don't work when you're an adult. They actually may have worked when you're a little kid, when you are fighting to survive. But, you know, so many dudes try to bring mm-hmm. those same survival tools into their adult life, and it really doesn't work. And there's a lot of dudes in jail that are like, oh, man, you know, I really wish I didn't throw that yeah. last punch, you know. Yeah. And, and um, I remember my father told me an amazing story before he passed away. Uh, he was telling me about he had this real – he was having conflict with some guy, and you know, they he hated him and they hated each other. And you know, um, and one night he seen him and he and he was gonna like they got into a, like a, a heated argument, and he was just gonna he was gonna king hit him, he was just gonna hit him, and he decided not to and he just walked away. But then he found out a week later, and that and the same, and the guy found out as well that guy he was going to hit had a brain tumor, right. Oh. And he didn't know. He got diagnosed with a brain tumour. And he says to me, he goes, I often think about it. He goes, imagine I hit wow. that dude and he's got a brain tumour and I could have killed him instantly and he, d- he was so delicate and he didn't even know how delicate he was. And he said it just changed everything because, you know, he grew up in violence as well. He was a, he was a migrant to us. He grew up in a migrant family uh, in Australia, you know, in the, in the uh, 60s and 70s. Where and on the streets of Sydney, so had to survive, 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 you know. And unfortunately, like I mean, and his grandfather, his father, my grandfather was violent, and then my father was violent, you know. Um, and it's just this like default mechanism. And then to hear you tell a story about how you were confronted with a situation where you've only known one way to deal with that situation, and then you then you made a conscious decision, you know, not to do it the same. That's just like instant redemption, brother. It's so nice yeah. to hear. So man, thanks for sharing that. Really inspired.
1: Happy to. Happy to, man. Yeah.
0: So listen, man, um so you said that the the journal writing started after that. Um how did that then evolve into you wanting to write a book? Like did you just get some of your ideas or memoirs and put them into your first book or
1: No, I um was probably i think my early 20s where i'm i found myself on this cycle where i would I would go out to the coast every evening um and like journal you know i'd watch the sunset just reflect i was like deep in my healing at that point and like just like kind of unpacking stuff in my psyche and thinking about uh the ways i saw myself and like not believing in myself for so long so i i would go then leave there and go to this bookstore it's uh, called barnes and nobles here in the states and then do they have those
0: uh we have similar not barnes and noble but we have a similar chain of well
1: so i would go and like i just like i was writing a similar like thought process in in this journal it's kind of on the same it was the first time I felt like I was on this like this lineage with a direction or like s- the thought was carrying forward more than just one day of because I try to do at least three pages you know so it was like oh this is a couple weeks in I'm still kind of on the same idea and these thoughts and they're starting to break up you know into sections so I was going writing every day writing every day and then at some point there was some of that worked in the store that asked me along the way, they'd ask what I was doing. I was like, I'm just writing, writing because I'm going every night. So I started to get noticed. And at some point she asked me what, what I was doing. Someone else asked me and I just looked at her. I said, I'm writing a book. And, um, it just kept going from there. And then one day I just felt like I finished it. I finished, I stopped writing it printed it out and read through it. Um, cause I was writing it by hand and then like started to clean it up and made like a binded copy of it. And like, well, I feel like this is, in it. it was just like me telling myself what I wanted someone to tell me, but then I wanted to share it with other people to tell them, you know, mm-hmm. like all the things I thought I heard more of or wanted to hear more of. And, um, then I let a friend read it, and he was pretty hyped on. I'm like, oh, it's a friend; he's going to be cool. He's like, I don't know if he's being honest or not. I kind of questioned it because, you know, we're homies. I mean, he said he was being honest, but you know how that goes. You're like, homie. So, I'm like, let me let a few other people read it. And I started letting a few other people read it, and then at that point, I was getting like good feedback, and then connected with this this publisher that I heard about, and started to. Like I just sent it to them and they ended up like choosing to publish it or on board to give me a chance as an unknown writer. And uh, so I pursued that. I actually had my first book signing at that Parns and Nobles where I was writing the book. Like that was my first thing. It was such a cool uh, situation to know I'd been writing that, the book there. And then, um, yeah, just one book led to another where it was like different phases in my life where I was looking at certain sort of life philosophies and reflections and that just became the nature of that book and it just it's been this evolution you know I didn't know after the first book I would even write a second one and then by the time I got to the third one the person I was with because I you know I left my publisher after five books and that's a whole story in itself but at that point the like the kind of rep i had or whatever i'm like marketing person it was like yeah i mean you know one book kind of everyone has a book in them too and then three is like you're looked at way different now like we see you like this is your third book you know like they began like i got more credibility with them from that point so yeah just been this evolution man but it's all i don't ever write with the idea of wanting to tell someone how to live their life or what to do or how to be or anything i just share my reflections and the things that have helped me with the intent of like just helping someone else or like lifting the door or the layers for someone to like dive deeper and whatever it might be and maybe it's only one page out of the book maybe they don't like half of it but there's certain things that speak to them i I try to write my book short to the point because I always liked reading shorter books. It just keeps my attention's better that way. Um, so I I write like I read, like to to read basically.
0: Rad. I love that. Like um, there is so so much power to that whole notion of like sharing your story with the hope that someone identifies with with some aspects, and then that provides healing to that person and you know i've learned this a lot with the podcast because i've just had moments with it where i'll be speaking to a guest and they'll and i would have you know never really thought that i would identify with them in in a lot of ways and then they'll say something and the way something happened for them was exactly how i needed to hear it you know oh, and then so, sometimes a guest will share a story and i'll have a listener reach out to me and say oh, my God, I can't believe this happened to so-and-so because that's exactly how it happened to me and I've never, ever heard heard that happen to anyone else. And it's this, like, Love immediate it. immediate removal of isolation. You don't feel isolated in that thought anymore. Yeah. So would you yeah. say, like, that's, that's what you're going for with your books, correct?
1: Yeah, you know, letting, letting people obviously know they're not alone and um, obviously just encouraging people, inspiring people, and um, you know, everything I do where the, the latest skate, it's a little different from where uh, my other books have been like more intentional to like inspire and transform wherever wherever. that one's more tribute where people who skate can identify uh, like that validation really. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a head nod type. But anyways, the, in everything I do, I um, I do with the philosophy of just to reach one is to reach them all. Because I I, uh, I had a have a sister that passed away and she OD'd years ago, and I she's she's read some of my books. I've talked to her, encouraged her, try to lift her up, whatever. And I, I couldn't change her, you know. I couldn't change her life. And when she passed, I felt super guilty. Like man, I, I I've spent so many hours and years of my life devoted to helping other people and sacrificing and like giving and giving and giving but like here is my sister i feel like you know she was in pain and i couldn't do anything about it as much as i wanted to as much as i wanted to help her and she was dealing with you know her own childhood stuff that just hasn't wasn't healed wasn't wasn't addressed and um when she passed, there was a lot of guilt that came from it. Uh, like I actually talked to her in the morning, and I was supposed to call her back that day. We were, we didn't have the best conversation. I never called her back. The next morning is when I heard she died. So there was a lot of layers of guilt, and anyways, what I came to when that situation of peace is it was like it came over me, like you know, it can't, I can't help everyone. I can't change everyone. I can't reach everyone. Even sometimes. The people i want to the most my own family the people closest to me and that's where i like just kind of found my peace and adopting that philosophy is to reach ones to reach them all it's not about reaching everyone it's not about like <clears throat> having that impact that you want to have on every single person that reads my book or every single person that hears your podcast it's that one person because if you reach the one that one person to me, that's like the world. That's everyone, because to to them, that is everyone. Because that's their world, you know. So that's that's what it's all about. It's uh, it's always worth it to me. Everything I do, the hours I spend into like releasing a book to the world, being vulnerable about what's in it. Um, if one person gains from it, one person's moved, one person's inspired, then it's all worth it every time
0: dude Ricky yes yes thank god there's people like you in the world man um
1: you know likewise man likewise and
0: and I'm gonna I'm gonna now I'm gonna hit you with something to put you on the spot a little bit from a a practical perspective and you are putting your vulnerability and yourself out there and hours of writing like on a practical sort of note are you able to sustain a a lifestyle from, from that, you know, and how do you, it's, and I guess my um, question is, sorry, how do you balance that? Because,
1: so know, like right now, honestly, it's a, uh, like well, I'm, I'm rippling. I'm doing, I'm dealing with rippling effects from the pandemic, um, uh, before the pandemic. So have my regular book sales, right? Like just passively or whatever people on Amazon or whatever it might be. And that's good, and I'm super grateful. It's enough to cover part of my uh, societal existence. The other part mainly would would come from uh, like speaking gigs or sometimes I would I go to a conference or something like that or school and get paid really well, you know to, to be a speaker, a keynote, whatever it might be. Um, the other part that was really, the, picking up a lot of momentum before the pandemic was i was uh had some support and opportunities to get a lot of copies of my fifth book which is for young people middle school to been high school uh, into large amounts like oh, ten, like a lot of over ten thousand young people that like been able to get the, those books so there would be large bulk purchases of like you know a thousand two thousand twenty five hundred whatever like all of full schools and um
0: as as the pandemic just shut
1: that down that like it was like i went to one school finishing up and like just kind of planning on the next one that that was like moving forward all the monos going so it's been a, it's just like been adjusting and and um be like patiently waiting to see how these things are unfolding. And then like every time I thought things were picking back up, um, like another thing shut down. So there's been a lot more pressure on like just book sales to help sustain, you know, my part of like the contributions to our household. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like in a transition period right now an adjustment. Um, but, you know, if there's one thing I know, because I've been at this whole like independent thing for a while, um, I also, so I can tell you more about it. I also started an organization and that was part of the stu- like stuff in schools, like a, a movement of valuing others. But along this way, it's my last regular job, if you would. It's been quite some time now. And things have always worked out. There's always an opportunity that comes up. There's always, like, a door that opens um, when I least expect it, you know. So uh, I just keep, I continue just waking up and giving of myself and putting that energy out there and trusting in things to continue opening up, you know. Dude,
0: amazing. I don't know. i, I love to hear that. i just love to hear it because I, it's really obvious that you're someone who's living your truth, Like you're living life on your terms. You're 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 living your dream, not someone else's dream. And it seems like if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. But it seems like your your dream and your vision is to is to help others and a life of service. Yeah, you know. And it's such a beautiful thing. But then the practical, and that's what I want to do, if I'm honest. But the practical side of me says I'm too scared to step into that. Just just that alone, you know, because I don't know what, what happens if. You know, I can't make ends meet, you know. Uh it's
1: dude, it's a ride, man. Uh, it's right. uh so the first time the last like uh, talking about things working out, I left this organization I was at. I was in the car business for several years and I ended up walking away from that because it wasn't my passion. I like lost a bunch of money. I kinda of had to start over in life, you know. Um, that was after writing my second book, What Really Matters. I'm looking at life, it's like I was starting to do really well in the eyes of the world, but I wasn't happy. I'm like, what does all this stuff matter if it's like, I'm not fulfilled. And at the end of it, I don't even know if I'm going to live until whatever. It was just this whole, and I was knowing people with loads of money passing away and friends dying and different people around me. So if I wrote that book. It was time to go and, um, dissolved everything I had, like business agreements and stuff. And I was buying this business at the time anyway, several years later, I was working for this organization and they were great to me. I learned a lot. I met a lot of great people and it was time for me to, I just felt like more and more I need to do my own thing. This isn't my truth. And so I left and when I was leaving, my bosses asked me, what are you going to do? I don't, I said, are your books going to serve? It's like, give you enough to live? I said, not right now. They're not. I don't, but I feel like until I start putting myself fully into it, it's not going to go to the level I need to go to anyway. So not sure what's gonna happen i just know i need to do it i took that leap of faith and it was two weeks later i had some program buy a thousand copies of my first book for for kids and it just like random things were happening um so you know right now to answer your question honestly i'm just kind of in that that waiting period and trust period of like i i know something is on the edge of of happening and when you take a path outside of the like the standard direction of things it, it you know it tends to look glamorized on the outside and looks like oh man that's that would be awesome but there's a lot that comes with it you know it's it's a it's a wild ride <laughs> and um but i'm i'm grateful you know and i wouldn't wouldn't trade it for for anything um you know so yeah it's 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 a trip because you never know where things are coming from you don't know like i don't know how many people are going to be interested in my books that care enough to spend their hard-earned money to buy them i don't know like where right now the speaking gig thing that was always where i never knew it was going to be in my inbox because any day i could get an invite to those but that's been you know kind of like silenced uh, quite a bit but Things are things are always changing, and you know where one thing's not working out, something else something else does. And that's just kind of that's been that's been the ride so far, anyways. But but you're bu- just
0: you're busy though. You're not just sitting idle waiting for things to happen. Oh like you're no! Also,
1: no, I always have, yeah. that's something
0: what people forget too. That like in a lot of ways, you're probably making your own luck as well by. Exploring
1: options, yeah. you're, not, you're
0: not just sitting on your ass waiting for these opportunities to no, come to you either. No way.
1: And I think that's a really there's important a, there's thing a, to highlight. Yeah, absolutely. There's a section in um my uh seventh book, It's Far From Easy and it's what it takes to make your dreams a reality. And it's like the real talk about this is what this path really looks like. Um and it is taking action, it's a huge part of it, you know. Uh, just even us being on this this podcast you know this doesn't happen on its own like we had to interact we had to message we had to you you know i reached out to you we we engaged it's just kind of like these things don't happen on, on their own your podcast doesn't just go to spotify and everywhere else on its own there's always something it's always something to do you know um, it's it's uh definitely not just sitting here with my um, hands up and my legs crossed, you know. This This
0: is why I fall in love with people like you, Ricky, because you're taking the road less traveled. And these struggles are the struggles of change makers. These are the struggles of successful people, you know. And I think a lot of the – I mean, and and I don't know how you define success, but, you know, in my eyes I see a successful person, whether – I don't know your monetary situation. I don't really know your, your lifestyle situation, but but anyone I see who's living their truth and seems content with that, I, I just fall in love with. And I can I can see such a contentment in you, Ricky. You seem so at peace. And you know, you said something to me when we had a phone call before we even started. You know, um, you said this was bef- this was the other day before we recorded. You said, you know, like because I sort of said, oh. Do you want to be on this to promote your book? And uh, the reason I ask that is because I do get I do get requests for that all the time, like people coming with these motives of, you know, they want to sell they want to sell their book. And you know, I'm not against that too. I I want to support entrepreneurs and creatives one hundred percent. But you just said something that was a bit different. You go, we don't. I don't even want to talk about the book if you don't want to talk about it. It's like that. You're the first person that's ever said that to me, and I was like, yeah. This guy, man, this guy, and also you're a skateboarder, and you're, you're <laughs> around my age, you know. And I, I love, I love guys that skate at our age as well. So yeah, man,
1: yeah, yeah. It's not about it's. That's where it's like I'm just. I, like I said then. I just want to have a good conversation, a positive conversation that could possibly help someone else, impact someone else. You know, that's that's what it's all about, and um, I, I think that that's that's been the like you talk about the the road less traveled it's um yeah man it's something that i feel it got to a point where i felt like i could not do it you know and i'm just super grateful for everyone along the way that's helped me be able to do it because ultimately um you know it's not about me it's just about the like who I may be able to help along the way and whatever capacity that is, whatever that looks like, you know? And, um, you're talking about the, like what defines success. It's, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day. I said, you know, I don't really know what we, like what type of material life I'll give Everest, which is our son's name. You know, it's like, that's not what matters to me. Obviously he'll always eat good foods and healthy foods and, Um, have access to things he needs but in terms of like material things uh, like those financial success or whatever i don't i don't really know what that looks like i i trust that it looks great but what i do know for sure is that he will be wealthy and wildly rich in love and support and affection and nurturing, and nurturing him and just like uh yeah just guidance and and that family unit and that to me it was like because we're becoming his story right now as he gets older like i like i tell my story oh, i grew up with abusive parents and i grew up in poverty but i also know being in poverty that it wasn't about the things people had it was about the love that they experienced and the Parents that they had that loved and cared about them and support them that I miss the most. So it, it, it not to say that my son's going to go without, but just saying like the success of it all for me is him experiencing that love and support. And, and the success for me ultimately is living my truth and being happy with the person that I am, you know? And that's a daily thing for me to work on to to make sure that I'm just I'm happy looking in the mirror and I'm happy with the choices that I'm making I'm happy with the way I'm treating people happy with the you know the the way I interact with strangers at the store and if I'm not happy with it then I look at myself and see where I need to change so I can be
0: yes man yes Ricky yes listen man Amen, I want to ask, ask, ask you something <laughs> I want to ask you something else. like Okay. So what advice would you give to 17-year-old Ricky if you could?
1: 17-year-old Ricky. Um, uh, I would just let him. him know that he's valued, you know, and that's that's kind of where that organization I started that's it, called Your Values a Movement of valuing you know, Others that it it started the fundamental belief that when people don't know they're valued and see the value in who they are and see like their worth, then they're more likely to make bad choices, hurt themselves or hurt other people. And I would just let him know that, that he's loved, you know, he's important, that he matters, that he means something and that he, he doesn't have any, anything to prove, you know, that there's, Because when you grow up without love and support, when you can't even get the people who are supposed to love you to love you, you feel like you have to fight for it everywhere else in the world. Hmm. And that's what I would tell him, is that you don't have to fight to be loved. You know, you, you deserve to be loved.
0: Yes, man. Yes, so true. Yeah. Well, listen, Ricky, man, it's been so epic. Um, likewise I'm so, I'm so grateful you. for you listen um I ask all guests to come to the podcast like with a cause they want to support or advocate for uh I'm guessing maybe it's it's your
1: movement or your
0: um, do you have something yeah, else for but,
1: you? yeah I've definitely um put some put some uh, you know there's there's some others that, that I'm really passionate about obviously you are valued as just something that That's, that's always been, it's just a passion of mine to continue to spread those ripples of, of kindness Mm -hmm. and that movement of valuing others. But, um, the, there's a organization I recently connected with, it's called six feet above that Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm stoked on. It's, it's, uh, it's an organization that facilitates groups, um, of like service people and, uh, veterans in different capacities and introduces them and helps them bond through skateboarding. Like some of them may skate, some of them may not, but they like have retreats essentially where they get together to talk about things. And it's mainly to prevent suicide, you know, in veterans, which is a really high rate because of PTSD and because of me, and suicidal and relating to PTSD symptoms not that I know what they deal with or what they deal with but it's like something that speaks to me a lot and the power of skateboarding to heal is is just phenomenal you know so I, I'm 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 stoked on, on them and you know another one I really like is that four oceans uh, I don't know if you heard of them but oh. they're like they're driven they're not a non-profit, but they're a intentional business. Um, I forget how they classify their actual business, but essentially they're driven to remove plastic out of the ocean. It started from these two surfers that were on a trip in Bali, and they saw how bad the plastic issue was, and they like make these bracelets and products that you can buy that goes to taking plastic. They run in their crews of boats to literally take thousands and hundreds of thousands of pounds of uh, plastic waste out of the ocean, which, um, yeah, that's just, it's, it's heart wrenching, um, to think about how poorly we've treated the earth and especially, you know, in the ocean in this regard. So I'm happy to see anyone making those initiatives to, to keep the ocean and the waterways as clean as possible, um, for all life,
0: you know, that's amazing, Ricky. Um, with your, your with your latest book, thank you, skateboarding. Here's a here's a question for you. Tell me why a non skater would like that book.
1: Many reasons. <laughs> uh, it would give an insight into like if they don't know if they're not a skateboarder, it would give a very valuable insight i think into skateboarding what actually means beyond those people you might see in a public place that are dirty and sweaty and have holes in their clothes or in their mm. like busted up shoes i think it it helps gives a sense of appreciation for how much is actually involved in what people who do skate take away from it and how those positive aspects manifest into so many other areas of their lives um but beyond given that that i think valuable insight uh, it it could, could connect to something that they may care about that they may have that uh sense of appreciation for that has impacted their life you know and in, in a different way i mean to not to mislead anyone i i wrote it for skateboarders and people who support skateboarders it's it wasn't like and that was something when i was writing it every one of my books prior is a little more open and honest but this was like okay should i just make it more like broad to where it's like but then it was i felt it on my heart that because of what skateboarding has done for me and my life at this point and skateboarding in general the skateboarding community worldwide i just felt like it's something that I wanted to write for all of us and put into words and write that tribute, you know, so I kept it. It was like I drew that line, like, this is for, it's for skateboarding.
0: Rad. Uh, the reason I asked that is because with the podcast, um, I mean, I'm not a skateboarding podcast, um, but I, I do love skateboarding and I tend to gravitate towards skaters and, and surfers because I surf a lot as well um yeah what's kind of
1: likewise i didn't know you surfed but i kind of assume i haven't surfed as much in this last year and a half i've been out of the cycle a little bit but surfing is special to my heart is there surf
0: is there surf near you florida
1: it's like two and a half hours away
0: okay
1: like there is surf in our coast but it's not as consistent a lot of driving it's just this season in life i'm like accepting and it's a little it's just you know the charging aspect of of my life is a, a little shadowed right now, but it's, it's just a season. I, I love surfing. I will definitely spend time in the water for the rest yeah. of my life as long as I can.
0: Same. It's done so much for my health and, and well being, surfing. Like, I mean, the act of surfing, obviously, I like as well. Uh, I don't actually like the act of surfing as much as I like the act of skateboarding. But surfing, what it, just the connection it gives me to the environment and the ocean, I just yeah. I just have to be in it as much as I can. Uh, it does yeah. so much for my mental health. It's just I can't even explain it, you know. And I've heard so many Lovely. theories about why it it helps your mental health. Like you know, the combination of the salt water, the seawater apparently has the mineral in it, magnesium. That's a natural muscle relaxant, and then you've got the vitamin D from the sun, and compi- combined together. You know, the magnesium unlocks the vitamin D and it just builds your immunity. And then there's the cardiovascular aspect of it. Like, it's just such a good thing to do for your body. It's just amazing, you know. So, um, the, the other thing I was going to sort of mention too is that um, Florida has produced the greatest surfer of all time. You know that,
1: day <sighs> Kelly Slater, so man. So much respect. <laughs> Man, I love seeing it. I, I Dude, just. It's crazy. It's, I love it. I love it. Because, I mean, you're, you know, we're close to the same age. So for Dude. me to, like, see that type of, like, that level of performance at his age, and there's some some uh, pro skateboarders that, like, I see regularly that is the same thing for me. And I, we were talking before the show with, like, Chris Markovich and seeing people, like, these. Tony Hawk still trending, but anyways, Kelly Sater specifically went in pipe at 49, almost 50 is. Uh,
0: but, but, dude, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I've been it's, checking your stuff. I've been, I've been checking your stuff out on Instagram, and I noticed that you skate with Chris Markovich a lot, if you don't mind. I've still, I sort of just picked up on that through some of your yeah. clips and stuff. Um, and, and, I mean, he's blowing my mind as well. He, I think he's older than us. And it just yeah, and, it's, and, it's and I was watching you, nice. like I think we're the same age, like mid forties. And I see Kelly Slater win that and I just I just think these days, like if you know how to like like good like these are these are products, these are the gifts of good living. You know, you get to you get to yeah. do your passion at the age of fifty or longer. You know, I watched Chris yeah. Markovich, you know, skating and ripping because he was one of my favourite skaters growing up. I used to love how he Shredding. skated. Yeah, and it's like you know this motivates me so much just to live like a righteous and healthy life you know and we have so much information we can like we can hack into different you know um health and wellness uh ideas to to for longevity and i just think why not you know
1: let's let's do it i'm i'm with you it just becomes more and more motivating where it's just like yeah it all it all becomes uh, those lifestyle choices as you get older become more and more important and if you make the right ones you're setting yourself up for uh, it's not just about being able to do things as you get older it's about the quality of life that the doing those things fosters and cultivates you know so that's what what it's all about for me i just want to be able to do the things that i love as long as i possibly can i joke with people all the time i have 6 year old skate goals like i just joke with people like <laughs> yes. i want to be able to do a 360 flip when i'm 60 that's just i'm like i just Let's want go. to be able to do that <laughs> Let's
0: go. dude you really <laughs> so, I, I mean why you actually you skate so good and i'm like thanks, i'm gonna ask man. you this like after a lifetime of skateboarding like do you love it more than ever
1: uh, yeah, just it's like it's 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 I, n- I didn't even think that was possible cuz skateboarding was my first love it was my first experience with love and like my understanding of like oh this is what it means to love like really be in <laughs> love with something
0: yeah. you know
1: and um to still like over 30 plus years of course it's come and gone at certain phases of my life where there're chunks of time or maybe it was like oh once a month once every couple months or You know, when I was really having a service, maybe I don't, it it just more times would go apart. But to think that I can love something more now than when I started so long ago is, it's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's phenomenal. It's um, just, yeah, I'm super grateful. And I think that there's a renaissance of people our age experiencing the same thing. But like, wait a second, maybe in your thirties, you feel like you have to let it go a little bit because you're getting into more uh, whatever as adulthood happens. And you're just like, you, it's like, you almost feel like, I don't know. There was a phase where maybe I just felt like at certain point you just had to let it go. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I would fight myself to feel like I would have to be okay Yeah. with letting it go at some point, like dealing with this these layers of depression because of it almost where now i think there's just this understanding like no we don't have to let this go ever like like who why just because when we were kids we saw people that were 40 that like they didn't do anything you know there, there was no like they weren't skating or whatever it was at least from my eyes back when i was younger and like now to know like now, we can change this whole deal. It's not over, yeah, it's just getting started in a lot of ways. well we were told to grow up, you know, you t- what are you writing yeah, that thing man. for? You
0: know, but and it's like, why are you writing that that stupid toy? You know, and it's like we've got to thank people like, I mean, Kelly Slater with surfing and Tony Hawk and Chris Markovich And, I mean, One Song inspires me with all, what, like, what he's doing. and dude, Willie Mar- Santos. Is, oh, Willie
1: Santos, yeah. He's shredding. And this dude, Will Nugent, on that has a pro board for Willie's workshop right now that he could guess for. He's just – I just get excited. I honestly, like you said, anyone – as they're older, like in their 40s, I respect everyone skateboarding, not to like mess the, that up, but like as people are getting older, if they're doing anything, if they're on, they don't have to be ripping. If they're just making the time to be on the board or making the time to do something they love, it stokes me out. It just makes me happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I listened to an interview with um, Jamie Thomas uh, a while back, and, you know, someone said to him in the interview, like, I'm too old to skate, you know, like, and, and, or I'm too, uh, it hurts too much or my knees hurt or I'm too, you know, I've got a bad back and Jamie's just like, well, just roll around and see what your body manifests and you'll start to become in touch with your body and your body will start to tell you what you're still capable of, you know, but if you don't do that, you're never going to know. And it's just wasted time, you know, so yeah. anyway, man, Now, listen, brother. Good stuff. um, Good stuff. I I love this, man. So if you scroll down in this episode, uh, there's links to uh, the You Are Valued movement that Ricky has, uh, the cause that he's advocated for six feet above. There's also a link to Ricky's website. Uh, where you can find some of his books and uh, also i'll put links there to amazon for some of his books as well there's also the four oceans link um, initiative that you know ricky's also advocating for so you know get on check it all out uh, with some of the causes go and see if you can donate or be of service and once more i'll advocate for habitat for humanity Please uh, go and and volunteer. They're they're an international NGO, so they're non-government, they're non-for-profit, and they're a beautiful organization. And, um, man, yeah, you can find this episode on TerribleHappyTalks.com, but you can also find it on all the major podcasting platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, uh, Podcast Addict, Overcast, um, there's a bunch. But whatever platform you prefer to listen on, please subscribe and you know maybe leave a review. That's always cool too. But either way, if you don't do those things, I'm just grateful that you're here listening right now. So thank you. And, man, that's it, Ricky. You want to finish on anything special, brother?
1: Love it, man. Just good stuff all around. I, I guess if I could finish on anything to encourage people if with- You know, when it comes to introducing causes to them, which Habitat for Humanity is amazing, by the way. I back that, too. Um, I always encourage people, even if it's not about a cause or if there's not a cause, they connect with their heart. Just make their own cause just to do something nice for someone, do something nice for themselves, and spread some kindness, because that's the cause that we can all get behind for free anywhere we are.
0: Hey, so before we kick off the podcast, I just want to talk about getting your morning kick in Belmont coffee. Belmont is owned by skaters, barbers, traders, and musicians. They came together with the idea of creating a co-pilot that's next to you on the late night drives, early mornings on the job site, or a midday pick-me-up. Ethically sourced beans in a sustainable can and ready to go when you are. Use the code THT to score a discount at belmont.com. That's Belmont, B-E-L-L-M-O-T-T
1: dot com.